Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. The Perseverance of the Saints. So let's uh, begin with prayer, and then we'll read a scripture and we'll walk through the confession. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, your Lord's Day. We thank you that you have called us into your house, and you will again feed us on your word and build us up and uh, be a father to your people. So, Father, we pray that you would bless all of our thoughts and meditations. We ask that they would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. We thank you that you are our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to read John 10. A portion of it, starting at verse 22. This is the word of the Lord. At that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The, word, the works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So this is one of many passages that speak to the perseverance of the saints or the, the preservation of the saints by God. Uh, we could go, we'll, we'll go to others as we go along. We could certainly go to Romans chapter 8, um, other passages in, in John uh, that put forward this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. But let's start here. You get to tell me who wrote this. This is a quote from somebody. You get to tell me who wrote it. The question is asked, is it possible for true believers to fall away totally and finally? Do some of them in reality totally and finally fall from faith? Quote, the opinion which denies that true believers and regenerate persons are either capable of falling away or actually do fall away from the faith totally and finally was never from the very times of the apostles down to the present day accounted by the church as a Catholic truth. Neither has that which affirms the contrary ever been reckoned as an, an heretical opinion. Nay, that which affirms it possible for believers to fall away from the faith has always had more supporters in the church of Christ than that which denies its possibility or its actually occurring. Any guess on who wrote that? Who said that? 
Did you understand what he was saying? He's basically saying that if you deny that, uh, he's basically saying that it is possible for believers to fall away from the faith, and that has always been the orthodox position. So who would say that? Jacobus Arminius, right? Or James Arminius, we can call him. Diminish him a little bit. Um, Arminius. Who is Arminius? Well, he was a Dutch theologian back um, his... He was born in 1560 and lived till 1609. So that would make him sort of a second-generation reformer, right? Um, a little... Uh, the generation... I mean, he's, he, he's a little bit younger, um, well, a lot bit younger than um, Luther. So second or third generation uh, after the Reformation. And in, in the Netherlands, the doctrines of the Reformed faith were being debated. And Arminius was one of the gang leaders and out of his works came uh, this group of people called the. Any any guesses? Chuck knows. No, the remonstrance. Yeah, the remonstrance, and those guys put together their doctrines, and then the the synod of Dort came together which was a, uh, um, I don't know if you call it an ecumenical synod, but it was a synod of Dutch Reformed churches. And they put together what the canons of Dort, which you've probably heard about. And the canons of Dort are essentially a defense of what has come to be known as the five points of Calvinism. Uh, we would call them more properly the doctrines of grace, the five doctrines of grace specifically having to do with soteriology, right? So, TULIP, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. And so, uh, the remonstrance denied it, denied that the saints persevered, and that it was, tr that it was possible for somebody who was regenerate to then lose their regeneration. It was possible for somebody who was truly a Christian to then not be a Christian and fall away. Uh, the, the doctrines of grace and the scriptures deny such a formulation. Okay? And that's what's taught here in the Westminster Confession. So we're going to talk about the perseverance of the saints. Now, one other introductory statement. It's, we live as those who are simultaneously saints and sinners, right? We are justified. We are being sanctified. We are justified and declared holy and yet there is still indwelling sin, we still sin, there's still growth 
an actual holiness that will take place through the course of our uh, Christian lives if we are the Lord's, if we are united to Christ, okay? And so this, this doctrine is, is hard to compute because we both, we know our justification, yet we also sin, right? And, and so we, we have to navigate um, these, this theology and the perseverance of the saint with the knowledge that we continue to sin, right? And, and it's, it's simplistic. I mean, there have been some who have posited it, but once you're a Christian, you know, the sin can, can go away instantly. Um, or you can pursue a perfectionism in this life. And we don't hold to that as Reformed believers. Uh, we don't think the Scripture teaches a, a form of perfectionism. And so the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints has to deal also with this question that, man, there are times when I feel like I'm on the verge of shipwreck because of my sin, right? And so they do that. They handle that in the third section of the confession here. And, uh, and we'll get there. So what, is, what does it mean that the, the saints persevere? Well, section one. They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, in the Son, effectually called and sanctified by his Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. And look at the, look at the, I mean, there, we have three short sections, but Look at all the scripture proofs on these five pages. I mean, it's thick with scripture proofs, right? There's a lot of, of claims that are supported here and a lot of scriptures to support them. And so if you go to the section A, it's actually on page 2. Look at the scriptures they quote, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If God begins a work in you, if God begins that work, and to begin the work is to regenerate, right? If God rebirths you, if God regenerates you, that work will continue. 2 Peter 1.10, wherefore... The rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. Romans 8. And we know that all things work together for, the good, for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate... Them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Okay? So the called, right, are justified. The justified are by necessity glorified, right? There's a progression that's laid out in the scripture there, and one follows the other by necessity. John 10. 28 is what we read earlier, 1 John 3, 9, whoever is born of God 
does not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Right? And the language John is using there is, is the continuance in sin, the sin, sin without compunction of conscience, right? First um, John 5:18, we know that whoever is born of God sins not, but he that is born of God keeps himself, and that wicked one touches him not. First Peter 1, 5 and 9, who are kept by the power of God through faith, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So there clearly are passages, right, that talk about this progression in the lives of believers and that there are people who, because they are regenerate, will persevere to the end. Okay? Um, who, who will persevere to the end? Who perseveres to the end? It's not, you gotta, if you say Christians, then you have to start defining Christians. Who perseveres to the end? The elect persevere to the end, right? And if we want to say, if we want to equate Christians with the elect, well, then I accept your answer, right? But there is such a thing as somebody who professes faith, right, outwardly is a Christian, but maybe inwardly is not renewed. It doesn't have the circumcision of the heart, is not reborn, is not uh, rebirthed. So there's a sort of uh, uh, an ecclesiastical sort of in the visible church sort of Christian who has a profession of faith. And so we need to start making a distinction between the elect and those who merely profess their faith. And I'm using merely there as an important word. There are many who profess faith who don't have faith. Right? There, there are uh, wheat and tares in the church. All members, all have given a profession of faith all deemed even a credible profession of faith by the elders, or they wouldn't be in membership. And even still, there's wheat and tares. There's a credible profession, and um, there, there is the elect, and there are those who are merely professing their faith. This doctrine is not about those who merely profess their faith are guaranteed salvation. That is not what this doctrine teaches. Okay? That would be the once saved, always saved. That would be the I've walked down the aisle, I'm good, I have fire insurance, right? That sort of idea. That is not this doctrine, okay? Um, perseverance of the saints is a theological, um, is a theological construct having to do with the elect. If God elects, he, if God predestinates, he in time calls. He, the calls are the called are justified and regenerated. The justified and regenerated are glorified. Okay, they will persevere to the end. And so that's what this means. Now, um, any questions at this point? Thoughts, concerns. Pretty basic, easily accepted. 
good. Yeah. Um, well, I think, I think a lot is swept up and effectually called, right? Because the effectual calling is simultaneous with justification, with saving faith, with, with all these things. And so I think it's sweeping up justification and effectually called. And then sanctification, um, whether it's definitive or progressive, uh, is an inevitable result of that justification. But look, look what it says. Um, if God has accepted somebody in his son, right, in that council before the foundation of the world, right, when he, he elected his people, if God does that, they will persevere to the end. They cannot totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, they will persevere to the end and be eternally saved. Now, again, let me restate what this doctrine is not. Here's what Murray says. Um, the doctrine of perseverance is the doctrine that believers persevere. It cannot be too strongly stressed that it is the perseverance of the saints. And that means that the saints, those united to Christ by the effectual call of the Father and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, will persevere to the end. If they persevere, they endure, they continue. It is not at all that they will be saved irrespective of their perseverance or their continuance, but that they will assuredly persevere. And remember, Jesus said, he that endures to the end, he shall be saved. Right, And so, uh, Murray makes a long point about how, yes, this is God doing the preservation, but this is also you doing the persevering, okay? Those who are preserved by God will always return to repentance, even when they fall in sin. They will not make shipwreck of their soul. And so, um, you can expect that there will be highs and lows. There will be an ebb and flow to your Christian life. There will be times when you, are, uh, when you fall into terrible sins, terrible sins. And yet, if you are one of the elect, you will repent. You will persevere. You will come through that. Okay? Um, in other words, this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is not an encouragement in our lusts, our salvation despite our sins. You know what I mean? I mean, so, that's the always, you know, once saved, always saved attitude. I got saved on January 4th, 1982, and I've lived like hell since then, right? And that, that is not what this is talking about at all. The preservation of the saints, the fact that God will preserve his elect, is not a covering for sin. That's not how we, pre we are, uh, that's not how we persevere. We persevere in the pursuit of holiness right to the end. Those who endure shall be saved, right? And so there will always be a taste for holiness among God's elect. So um, I hope that's clear. I saw a hand.
That's what? Sure, sure. I mean, many want to call this the preservation of the saints, and that puts sort of the impetus on God. I like perseverance, having looked at it, because it does, um, it does call us to pursue holiness in using the word preservation. But even still, the, 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 the main impetus of preservation is, is God himself, his sustaining work. Um, let's see, where to go next? Uh, here's a Boving quote. In regeneration and faith, God grants a grace that as such bears an inadmissible character. He grants a life that is by nature eternal. In your regeneration, he grants you life that is eternal. Right? It's, it's the nature of the, the change there is an eternal change. It's not a temporal change. It's not a for a moment change. Right? If the Spirit truly dwells within you and you're reborn, that, that inaugurates an eternal change right there. And that can, there is nothing that can thwart that will of God. Not even your own ongoing sins, right? But don't hear what I'm not saying when I say that, right? It doesn't mean go sin, that grace may abound. We know that, right? But that, that gives, that it, um, he grants a life that is by nature eternal. He bestows the benefits of calling, justification, and glorification that are mutually and unbreakably interconnected, right? Once that, that connection between these doctrines we've been talking about is started, there's an unbreakable, uh, it's like the falling of dominoes. One falls after the other and it's inevitable, they have to. All the dominoes are spaced the right length apart. There won't be a time when the domino is too far to be hit by the previous domino. Um, that is not the case in the Arminian scheme. That is not the case in the Roman Catholic scheme. That is not the case in a Pelagian scheme or a semi-Pelagian scheme. That is not the case, right? They would say that at some point that, um, that regeneration can be not just revoked but lost because of, because of something, right? That that... That is not an inevitable chain. There can be an interruption in that chain. Um, which, how do we interpret that? You know, we look at that sort of doctrine. We look at uh, Arminian doctrine. We look at Roman Catholic semi-Pelagianism where, uh, where that work of God can be interrupted by the will of man Right, where the will of man is exalted to the point where it can say no to God's will. Right, there's nothing irresistible about grace. It's perfectly resistible by a will that's stronger than God's, which is each one of our wills. Right, we look at that and 
And we, it's shocking. It's shocking to us, you know, to think that we could interrupt the will of the Almighty. And honestly, what it, what it speaks to me is that God can abandon his people. They can be his people and then they cannot be his people by their own will. Right? And so God does not preserve, God does not persevere them, God does not finish the work that he began in us, but that it's infinitely, infinitely interruptible. And therefore God does abandon his people. But what of the promises of the new covenant? <laughs> right? Where there are promises that he will be the God of his people and they will be saved, right? What of those promises? How in the world could we take God at his word? What about all those promises of scripture? What about all the verses I read earlier? What do those mean? They just mean nothing if you're semi-Pelagian, if you give so much place to the will of man, okay? And that's tragic. And so, here's a question. Um, if the perseverance of the saints is not true, what are some of the implications of that? I mean, I've just laid these things out, but I want you guys to say it. If the perseverance of the saints is not scriptural doctrine, it's not true, then what does that mean? What, is that, what does that mean some, some Arminian, some semi-Pelagian, some Roman Catholic comes in and is offended by the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. What does that mean about them and what they think? Speak up. Thanks. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it puts man in the driver's seat. Essentially what it does. And, but but what, what theology comes out of that? What, what is your view of God if you, if you put man in the driver's seat? You would have to be an egoist. You'd have to lower God's standards to your own so that you could attain it. Okay, you'd, have to, you'd sort of have to borrow a lot from the Pharisees. What did the Pharisees do? The Pharisees boasted that they tithed mint, dill, and cumin. So easy to do. It is easy to, to tithe your cumin. You just get 10% of it, you put it in the offering, you're righteous, right? You lower the demands of the law of God so that you can keep them, and then you boast after keeping them that God is now in your debt, which is just so offensive, right? To put... Almighty God in your debt to the, the God who created you and gave you any strength to do any good ever? I saw another hand. Yes. Yes. 
it diminishes God, it diminishes his sovereign power, it diminishes his fatherliness, right? He's just like a negligent father who lets his kids raise themselves, and if they get into trouble, well, you know, he's out bat smoking and just doesn't even, doesn't even see what's going on, doesn't even care. Right? It's a disengaged God who, who leaves everything up to man and their will. But, you're, but it's very important what you said. It will tend toward legalism. The way that... Um, where it, it tends toward legalism. It tends toward a fundamentalist sort of legalism, right? But they would accuse, right? They, the legalists would accuse someone who believes in the perseverance of the saints of being you know, you don't care about sin and it's going to lead to license, right? Which was the accusation against Luther, which was the accusation against all the early reformers. The Roman Catholic Church is like, well, if, if our works have no bearing in our salvation, well then, you know, ever, the world's going to spin into just a, an orgy, right, of sin. And Indeed, uh, Luther would, would commonly come back and say, no, no, this actually establishes holiness. This, this um, sets us apart for good works. And preservation is all about preserving in holiness, working in holiness, not in a way to save ourselves, but in a way that reflects our justification, right? And so that's that's hugely important. I think people who deny the preservation of the saints become tiny little legalists who exalt their own wills, but make the bar really low. Don't drink, don't smoke. And that sort of silliness. Okay, I'm off, I'm off piste. I'm off the trail. Um, any other thoughts? Concerns, comments? Renton. One last thing it does is uh, it does require you to believe you have some work done in your salvation that gives you the ability to lose it. If God is almighty and eternal, his side is going to hold on, but if they're requiring your will to hold on, then you do have some kind of Yes. It, it really, really amplifies the importance of the will of man at the initial stages of salvation, right? And that's why usually with legalism goes, or goes decisional regeneration. You're regenerated by having chosen God rather than by a monergistic act of God upon you. Um, so yeah, it, it's, uh, it falls together. Now, Okay, so section two. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will. That's what we've been talking about. You don't persevere because of your own free will. And we could talk about what free will is. We have up to this point. Um, uh, the will is, there's a sense in which the will is free, 
and um, and so I don't think they're they're using that term uh, sarcastically here. Or, um, but the perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decrees of election, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, the abiding of the Spirit and of the seed of God within them, and the nature of the covenant of grace from all which ariseth also the certainty and infallibility thereof. Now that's a glorious statement there, isn't it? All three members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit engaged in your persevering uh, life. They're all engaged in this. And they're all engaged in it because of that covenant of grace and the promises that God laid out in that covenant of grace, the nature of the covenant of grace. Jeremiah 32, 40, And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them, um, that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Right? The promise that God says, they won't depart from me. They won't depart from me. That's the nature of the covenant of grace, that God makes it so that it's, God makes it so that you persevere. God, God makes it. And why? Because his son died and there's infinite merit in the death of Jesus Christ. Right? And the spirit is given to you and lives within you. Right? It's not a spirit without that just works around you. It's the spirit in you. And that spirit is the Holy Spirit. That spirit is the one who makes you crave for holiness. And persevere in it, right? And um, Jesus, what is Jesus doing right now for his saints? He lives to make intercession for them. He's standing there by, to the right hand of the Father, and he's showing his Father all of his wounds and saying, I died for that one. 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 And in, in the Father is loving the Son, having sacrificially loved His own people, right? Those that were given to Him. Having done the work perfectly. Having lived and died for, for their salvation. And all of that flows from the free and unchangeable love of the Father. The love of the Father is not on today, off tomorrow. It's not, um, he, he's, uh, he's moody, and today you get booted out of his graces because he hasn't had two cups of coffee yet. Now, God is so far above those sort of whims that we feel all the time. His love is unchangeable, uninterruptible. It is, um, it is a weighty and indefatigable. And when God decrees something, what happens? It happens. <laughs> when God decrees something, it's immutable, right? You can't change it. 
And so um, the persevering nature of the, the elect is because of the immutability of the decree of election. Pelagians, semi-Pelagians, Arminians say, no, we're going to give a little more place to the will of man. In fact, we're going to give a lot more place to the will of man in this. Um, but notice all of this, all of this description in section 2 is describing the character of God. Your, your perseverance, your salvation, your sanctification all depends upon the glorious character of God Almighty. This is who He is, and who He is determines everything that comes to pass, including the salvation of his called ones. Uh, okay, so then that gets to the, the final, qu I don't know how much time I have, not enough, oh brother. Um, that gets to the final question, nevertheless, it starts, section three, nevertheless, and this is where we deal with this uh, simultaneously uh, sinner and saint, justified and not quite fully sanctified, right? Indwelling sin in us. And here's what they write. Nevertheless, they may, those saints, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means of their preservation fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein whereby they incur God's displeasure, they grieve His Holy Spirit, they come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, they have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others, and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. Well, that seems rather negative. After all the glories of the first two sections... It's like, why the stick? Well, the whole point is, this isn't, your, the fact that God preserves is not, does not erase the real consequences of sin in the life of the saint. Sin always grieves God. Whether, whether uh, and, it, and it especially grieves God if it's done by his child whom he's elected from the foundation of the world. That especially grieves him. Now, what, is, what does it mean? What do you receive from God? If you're one of those saints and you sin, what does God do? He does not abandon you. He gives you his attention. He doesn't run away. He comes at you. Right? He doesn't, he doesn't uh, catch the next train out of town. Right? He gets up in your grill. Hebrews chapter 12, he scourges his sons whom he loves, right? And so God brings his discipline to bear. Does God discipline pagans? Well, the, the one discipline he does is just to give them over to their sins, right? But what, why does he discipline us? He disciplines us for our good. It seems unpleasant for the moment, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, right? The peaceable fruit of righteousness. And so, 
Um, so we are faced and we fall into sin and terrible sins and for a time continue in them. There may be long stretches of your Christian walk even as you're a, a, a saint where you fall into sin. But it, it will be that if you are a child of God, at some point you will come to your senses. You will be scandalized by your own sin, right, as God works in you, as he makes you contemplate that your justification and your sanctification and the cross and the death of, of Jesus and the shed blood for Jesus. Now, what are the means by which we fall into sin? Temptations of Satan in the world. Saints are not impervious to the temptations that are in the world. Saints are not impervious to the temptations that come through the means of Satan, who accuses the brethren, who gets us to try to think that we aren't saints. Indwelling sin, you still have corruption in you. It, it works. It trips you up, right? And then neglecting the means of grace. You're going to fall into sin and temptation if you neglect the Word of God, the sacraments, and prayer. And so if you're neglecting those things, as some of us may be right now, well, then you can expect to be caught up in temptations, right? You're neglecting those means of grace. God has given us means, and he expects us to follow them. And so, um, but again, th this is to say, this is one, to militate against the view that the perseverance of the saints would be we can live however we want. Not true. And then second of all, it is to um, encourage the person. It is to define what perseverance means. Perseverance doesn't mean that God is just like, He's going to go on, it doesn't matter what he does. It's to say that perseverance perseveres in a certain character, and that certain character is repentance. Repentance after sin, the pursuit of holiness. They won't be without sin, but they will repent of their sin, okay? Christians will fall and rise up to do battle. They will fall. Perseverance doesn't mean they won't fall. You will fall, but you will rise up to do battle and you won't be a pretender at righteousness. Right? You will truly pursue that righteousness as part of your perseverance. Um, man, there's so much more I got here, but that's all right. I think you got something out of it. Um, here's the last thing. I'll end with Scripture. Isaiah 54.10 has this glorious promise, For the mountains may be removed, and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you. And my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Mountains may fall, earth may crumble, right? The nations will vainly rage, everything will seem chaotic, but God says... I've got you. I will have compassion on you. My love is unchangeable. My love will never fail. And I promise that. And he covenants with us and promises that. Right? And does God lie? He does not lie. He does not lie.
Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for thank you for your work in us. Thank you for the promises. But Lord, we exult in your very character. A God who is abounding in mercy. A God who has elected from the foundation of the world. A God who redeemed those that he chose and will lead them home. Thank you that we are firmly on the path that leads to eternal life. And Lord, we pray that we would, as, as a gratitude and as uh, the joy of our heart, pursue holiness and be like you. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.